कर्णाली का भेला काली को गुरली ने माचो करना This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. This time last year, a group of eight students from Fordham Law School had just finished a semester of study focused on human rights and Nepalese culture and history. They were prepping for a trip to Nepal for a fact-finding mission. They would document the problem of inadequate access to land. Most of Nepal's population live in rural areas. For these people, the land is their livelihood and their ticket to recognition and respect within Nepalese society. But a quarter of Nepal's families don't own the land they farm. Some are squatters, others are tenant farmers or sharecroppers, burdened by the debts they owe to landlords and ever vulnerable to the possibility of eviction. Over 30% of Nepal's people live in extreme poverty, and the majority of this group are landless. They are overwhelmingly indigenous peoples, or of the lower castes of Nepalese society, or are women. And last May, those eight Fordham Law students spent two weeks interviewing some of them, as well as landowners, government officials, and community organizers. The students were tasked with publishing their findings in a report to be distributed internationally. We went to Nepal to study land rights because access to land is a huge issue for the Nepali people. We had spent the semester studying the issue of land rights and how it's framed in international human rights law. And then once we went to Nepal, we wanted to talk to the people to see how the international framework could possibly work with the people we were meeting on the ground. That's Cori Calabrese, one of the students who worked on the report. She's about to explain a key part of the project documenting the land situation in Nepal, because when it comes to a human right to land, well, there isn't one, or it's not recognized in international human rights law. There's a right to food, to water, to political participation, but there's no right to land. So the goal in going on the trip to Nepal and documenting the entire experience was to determine how not owning or not having access to the land denies rights that are internationally recognized. How, for example, Nepalis are excluded from the political process because they don't own land, or how they can't secure housing because they have no way to stake a claim on a piece of land. And so we use the international conventions and different rights un- under in the international conventions to create a right to land. It's a little complicated. In addition to delving into the complicated legal stuff, the students diligently recorded their own experience of the trip and handed the audio over to WFUV. Hours of interviews, personal reflections, and the sounds of the streets and fields of Nepal. Here's one dispatch from Fordham Law student Amal Buhabib. She's giving her first impressions of Nepal's capital city, Kathmandu. We rode along windy roads, some paved and some just dirt roads. A lot of people wearing masks from all the dust. A lot of streets just lined with shop after shop, pastries and shoes, silk scarves, toys, all kinds of things. Lots of people outside. One healthy-looking cow and two not-so-healthy-looking cows, two really emaciated cows. They looked so scrawny. They looked like dogs. They were eating out of a pile of trash. And three monkeys that were just kind of hanging out on the side of the road, climbing some fences, just hanging out. 
Amal Habib, Corey Calabrese, and the rest of the team of law students are maybe most easily referred to as the Crowley Scholars, so dubbed because their trip is sponsored by the Crowley Program for International Human Rights at Fordham Law School. When the Crowley Scholars arrived in Kathmandu, they met for the first time the men who would guide them throughout Nepal and facilitate their interviews. Uh, my name is Jagat Basnet. Uh, I work for Landless Movement in Nepal. Jagat Basnet works to educate and organize landless farmers. Yeah, basically, those who don't have land, when they didn't have access to like uh, the bank loan, also the access to water, also the access to like te- uh, electricity, telephone lines. In 1993, Basnet founded the Community Self-Reliance Center, or the CSRC. It's based in Kathmandu, but its activists work in most of Nepal to help landless farmers claim their land rights and teach them how to organize themselves. Mostly we uh, work in field. Work in uh, the field? Yeah, field, that means working with the poor peoples. We support them. And then when we'll, we'll be in office, we work for even morning to night. Sometimes we sleep in office. One important thing is we are not working as a like job holder. We are the uh, social activists and working for missions. The mission. Yeah. Jagat Basnet's colleague is Jagat Doja. I'm Jagat Doja. And I'm working with CSRC uh, as an activist. Jagat Doja travels throughout Nepal to keep up with the network of landless Nepalis. Here he's talking about how much leave he takes in a year and why he doesn't mind that it's not much. I take uh, 10 days leave in, in, in a year. So we have no any weekend here. Uh, you work all week long? Yeah, long, yeah. We, we did not take on as a burden these things. We are happy. And when, uh, if we stay at Karpandu three or four days, and we, we are unsatisfied, and then go to village, and then listen to people, and then we are happy. The next person due for an introduction is Liz Wickery, who was in charge of leading the trip to Nepal. She was the one who wrangled up most of the Crowley scholars for a recorded conversation about the entire project. Here, she's explaining why she decided to collaborate with Shagat Basnet and Shagat Doja of the CSRC. One of the things that the Crowley program does to try and avoid being purely an international group that sort of parachutes in and then leaves the the local context is by finding a local trustworthy organization such as the Community Self-Reliance Center to work with. It was not easy for Liz to get Shagat Basnet's attention, although they can laugh about it now. Did you think maybe Another American lawyer is asking to come to Nepal. Uh, maybe it, it, maybe there are good things, but what are some of the things you thought about when I first emailed you and asked you to partner with us? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Uh, first, I ignore you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then the second email. Uh, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's a second or third email I, I, I response. I, I sent multiple emails. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, in, working on the issue of land rights in Nepal, uh, in talking to other organizations, I knew CSRC was the one I had to work with because they have both um, the respect of government actors but also the trust of local communities. It took a referral from a mutual acquaintance for Jagat Basnet to finally answer Liz's email. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes. I think third or fourth, but then I respond to her. 
now I'm thinking that if I didn't, <laughs> if I did the ignore, it's, it's a really we miss uh, this group. Here's a clip of that group waiting to be served lunch in the southwestern region of Nepal. I'm in Kamdi and we are uh, surrounded by a large group of, uh, of children. And they're, uh, they're checking us out. Millie's slapping fives, learning fives over there. And you say, Namaste. Can you say hello? Hello. Hi. Hi. Mironam Benjamin. That was a clip from the audio diary of Crowley scholars Ben Goldstein and Millie Cantor. Coming up. Um, this uh, land commissioner, district land commissioner, met with our group and basically said, you know, there's never been any corruption in my office. Or, um, there's never been any problems. If there was ever any corruption, we would have reported it immediately. But we walked out of the meeting and, and Jagat informed us this, this is one of the more corrupt um, ministries <laughs> in the government. Uh, and he said it matter of fact, obviously. Sorting fact and fiction in Nepal. That's after the break. You're listening to Fordham Conversations. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. The song you're listening to was recorded by a group of Fordham law students during a trip to Nepal to investigate landlessness there. Thank you. <laughs> that was a love song. The students' guides and collaborators on that trip were two men who share a first name, Jagat Basnet and Jagat Doja. Both work for the Community Self-Reliance Center, or CSRC, as organizers of landless Nepalis. They proved to be absolutely crucial, not only because they know the people and the country, but because they know the political terrain of Nepal in all of its complexity and instability. The Crowley scholars got a look at that instability when they arrived in the capital city of Kathmandu. Here's Ben Goldstein recording his observations on the street. The protests are really interesting because they're very, first of all, very lively. And um, you can sort of see the animation of the city in, in how they're conducted in, in the fact that they're carrying around effigies, carrying around big flags. Um, sort of gives you a taste for how things are here a little bit, and how heated the current political climate is. Another student on the trip fleshes out the story behind those protests and why they're so bad for the land reform movement. Here's David Mandel Anthony. The day we arrived in Nepal, actually, the coalition government collapsed. And one result of that government collapse, um, besides all of us receiving frantic emails from our family members, which was actually, there was no danger. Um, it was a political collapse. Um, one result of that was that a national land commission that had been meeting for a year and which had been the primary political body to sort of deal with 
these issues and policy questions about land rights, um, that also collapsed. Um, so to put that in perspective, what that meant to us was this very fragile political process that had um, been constructed after years of civil war was basically a house of cards, and it fell at any moment. And then these dedicated land rights activists were back to square one in terms of trying to get the government to enact any policies that they advocate for. Um, and to me, the, the scope of the problem is compounded in a country like Nepal by the sheer instability of the political system. So it, it's sort of daunting that you have to start all over again quite frequently. Um, and I talked with Jagat earlier this week about what progress their coalition has made in, in enacting policy reforms. And it's so difficult because there's no bedrock political stability in which to work from. Liz Wickery, leader of the Crowley program trip. I mean, one of the interesting things about working in Nepal is the political situation. Nepal is going through uh, a political transition. Nepal's political situation, despite um, the civil war ending in 2006, is still very unstable. And um, it's the only country I've been to so far that has been so highly politicized in every issue that the government is working on, in every issue that NGOs are working on. And so navigating the political minefield that an issue as um, weighted as land rights is, is really difficult. And I had to rely all the time on Jagat Basnet, Jagat Duja when we were in the field to know, um, you know, get a sense of what political parties different people represented and how not to allow our project and mission to be um, sort of taken advantage of by certain domestic political uh, leanings. Being aware of the agendas of everyone they spoke to was a big concern throughout the fact-finding mission. David Mandel Anthony says he remembers one interview in particular with a Nepalese government official that handles land claims. Well, Jagat, I was going to um, ask you about the interview you accompanied our team with to, I think it was a district commissioner. Um, and here's an example of, of Jagat teaching us something about the political landscape. Um, this uh, land commissioner, district land commissioner, met with our group and basically said, you know, there's never been any corruption in my office. Or, we always give land certificates um, and evaluate them fairly and um, there's never been any problems. If there was ever any corruption, we would have reported it immediately. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just taking down notes. And we walked out of the interview in Jagat. You, like the other students are just taking it yeah, all down. We're, we're taking notes. And, you know, we don't quite believe it, of course, because we know how things work to some degree. But we walked out of the meeting and, and Jagat informed us this, this is one of the more corrupt um, ministries <laughs> in the government. Uh, and he said it matter of fact, obviously. Hi, this is Amal. It is... I don't know. I think it's Thursday. Here's another clip from the audio diary of Amal Buhabib. We're on our way to see a Taru community, which is an indigenous group in Nepal, what they call an indigenous group. I mean, Nepal is made up of something like 39 or 50 <laughs> uh, different ethnicities. So um, it's hard to know what indigenous means, but I guess it means they were here before the unification of Nepal. 
and they speak a different language, so we're going to see how well that goes. Interestingly, the new government of Nepal has created a new national anthem, um, which they told us, our guides told us, starts by saying we're 100 peoples and 100 castes, but we are all Nepali, to which our uh, guide, Jagat, replied, that's just a song, <laughs> it's not in practice. <laughs> Do you know some Nepali songs? Mata Kandina Kuwa Kopani, Mata you're listening to Fordham Conversations. Coming up, doubting the mission. We're here to document abuses to a certain extent. But you have to ask, you know, are, are you really helping anybody? That's after the break. It's Fordham Conversations on 90.7 FM and WFUV.org. I'm Mary Wilson. Today, the Fordham Law students who traveled to Nepal for a fact-finding mission to investigate landlessness, a problem that befalls about a quarter of Nepal's people. It has been written that owning land is tantamount to citizenship in Nepal. Eight Fordham Law students traveled there last year to document how those denied access to land are also denied access to basic human rights recognized the world over. The students recorded interviews and observations to help support a legal report that they would write and distribute internationally. But among the interviews and songs that they had taped and brought back, there was one reflection that struck a different tone. It was recorded in the morning in a village about 20 miles east of the capital city of Nepal. I'm currently in Nagarkot, which is in the foothills of the Himalayas. You can see some white-capped peaks of the of the Himalayas off in the distance. This is Ben Goldstein. Didn't get much sleep last night. I was trying to think about Nepal and think about our trip and think about why we're here and the stuff that we saw. And uh, you know, it's sort of it's difficult stuff to process. Last day we were in the field and interviewing in Bankati and we were in a Dalit community, and Dalit is uh, the lowest of the castes. Nepal has a caste structure similar to India in a lot of ways. Technically, it's been outlawed. The remnants of it are very much alive here, it seems. The Dalits tend to be the poorest of the poor, and uh, this community that we were in, Mankati, was definitely, actually, you could sort of visually see that it was poorer than, than some of the others, I thought. And 
you know, people just looked less nourished. When we went, uh, I have to say that I was very, very touched by the reception we received. We were also fed, and people really seemed to want to treat us well, and they really have absolutely nothing. So for me, coming here and thinking about our trip and really seeing the lack of justice here for the poorest people, the landless people. Uh, from on our part, I really, I really don't know what you know is the best thing for us to be doing when we're here to document what we see as economic, social, and cultural rights abuses to a certain extent. But you have to ask, you know, are, are you really helping anybody? You know, what are you really doing for the people here when you're doing this? Um, uh, you go there and there's the cultural difference is so obvious. Um, the economic differences are so obvious. You know, we show up with, you know, I have this my recording device. I have my digital camera. I have a small video camera. You know, sometimes I'll have all of them on me at once, all of them out and ready to go. If you're going to be somebody coming from America and going into the third world and working for human rights in the third world, what, what is really the best way to go about that? And here, there's a really a burgeoning land rights movement. A lot of my interviews are of activists. I found their movement very, very inspiring. It's huge here. It's a major, major issue. And so... I think, you know, if our report can support them, then uh, that's a good thing. And if if it goes to some use for them, that's that's fantastic. A year later and far from the Himalayas, Ben Goldstein again said that the source of his renewed confidence in the fact-finding mission was the partnership with CSRC. We were with a group, CSRC, that really sought to empower local people and through working with them, I thought that um, our cooperation with a local group allowed us to actually step away from a, a sense of helplessness and maybe towards a sense of actually being proactive. And here's Corey Calabrese. It, it is something that we all talked about, and we talked about it with Liz, who was our leader. Um, because when we were going there, um, we knew we were just going to be interviewing people and then putting together a report. And so it was like, how much can this report actually accomplish? Um, but once we got there, it kind of hit me that um, what we were going to be doing in putting this together was really bringing an issue out into the international community. And we have tools. Um, available to us coming from a law school in New York with this well-known human rights program. We can interview these people, put their words down, and then we can take that and we can take it to other international organizations throughout New York, and we can take it to the United Nations. And even though we might not be doing direct services, that is a huge part of just getting their story out there so that other organizations can hear about the situation in Nepal and then go in and provide um, more work that way. When we went to the communities and before we talked to the people we were going to speak with, we made clear and CSRC helped make clear that 
exactly what our mission was there so that there were no false promises made and that the people we were meeting with didn't expect anything more than just to tell their story. Does someone else want to add to that? I was going to say to build off that. This is Millie Cantor, another Crowley scholar who went to Nepal. I think I was perhaps one of the more skeptical ones and concerned that we weren't going to go in and fix things and it was just this enormous problem and so much of that disappeared when you're on the ground and you're speaking with people as well because a lot of it was the opportunity for them to tell you their experiences, to discuss their story, and to discuss what they as a community had been able to do to fix it. Particularly some of the local land rights activists were remarkable for the way that they had used this issue and the community to really, as an empowering uh, factor. So, Liz Wickery, the Crowley Project leader. There is some, there can always be some skepticism about the place of international programs like this. We struggle with that internally as part of the Crowley program every single year, whether we're going to Nepal or this year we're going to Tanzania. Um, and, and a lot of that comes from the students. This, it's a lot of resources that we put into this. Um, and the issues that we're dealing with are often uh, you know, seemingly un- insurmountable. But one of the, the, you know, the purpose of the program is documentation and report writing. It's not the only kind of human rights activism that's available to us. It's not the only tool. Um, but it's the major one that we employ. And one of the reasons that documentation is so important is because without knowing what the problem of a situation is, no one is going to pay attention to it. So I think this is what Corey was saying is that um, by documenting people's stories and elevating those voices on an international level, we're making it possible for policymakers, lawmakers, um, other activists, other NGOs to actually know what the problem is and then focus and think about what possible solutions there are. This is an entry from the audio diary of Ganesh Krishna, another one of the Crowley scholars. He recorded this sometime after a meeting he had with a group of community organizers. Must have been about 30 individuals in the room. Um, they were all, all working towards land rights. Each of them had their own stories. Most of them themselves were victims of land abuse or uh, most of them were landless themselves. And, you know, they, they were just fed up with it and decided that they needed to speak out. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of young young people as well. It was, it was quite inspiring. Um, we asked them lots of questions and just heard their stories. Then we asked them if they had any stories for us, and they said, um, you know, you guys have been all around the world. Um, you've traveled. You've uh, studied human rights law. Um, what do you think the answer is? How do we, <laughs> how do we get land? It was difficult. We, we told them we want to hear all their stories, um, that we're international human rights lawyers, um, that there are a set of universal human rights globally that isn't specific to any one nation. Um, Nepal has been a signatory to many of these treaties that say that they will maintain a certain uh, level of human rights standards. And we've seen and observed several um, instances where uh, human rights have been violated, and these are the things that we'll bring up and put into our report. Um, and hopefully it can wear, uh, bring some awareness to the issue, uh, both internationally and also here domestically within Kathmandu uh, and uh, Nepal. Even with all the political instability of Nepal, the grassroots land rights movement facilitated by CSRC is growing. Here's law student Amisha Sharma. 
one of the things that was really striking to me in CSRC's work is that there is such a strong local movement and the activists from CSRC are not working in a top-down way where you know the Jagats are not dictating policy to local people and local communities and so I think one thing that's that is great about that type of work is that if the government collapses or things like that, I don't think that they're really starting over from square one because all that work of networking local communities and being a conduit for people's voices, that can't be taken away when something happens, I think, at the national level. That foundation is still there, and I think that's really important. Again, Shagat Basnet. We are generating power from ground. The people are our wealth. The people are our wealth, he says. That means now even we can like demonstrate 10,000 people in each districts. No one uh, NGOs can do that. Shagat Basnet and his colleague Shagat Doja are activists for the Community Self-Reliance Center, CSRC, established in 1993 to help Nepalis claim their land rights. The Crowley scholars who went to Nepal and shared their experiences in audio diaries and one very long interview are Amal Habib, Corey Calabrese, Millie Cantor, Ben Goldstein, Ganesh Krishna, Nushin Kitabi, David Mandel Anthony, and Amisha Sharma. Their project leader is Liz Wickery. The entire fact-finding project was sponsored by the Crowley Program for International Human Rights, which sponsors a trip like this every year. In two weeks, this year's Crowley scholars will leave for Tanzania to investigate the urban housing crisis there and its impact on women. The Crowley Program is part of the Leitner Center for International Law and Justice at Fordham Law School. That's it for Fordham Conversations. You can find archived shows on WFUV.org or subscribe to our podcast. Become a fan of our Facebook page by searching WFUV's Fordham Conversations or follow us on Twitter. We're registered as FOCON, F-O-C-O-N. Robin Shannon will be your host next week. Stay tuned for Cityscape at 730. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Mary Wilson. Yeah.